Hello, and welcome to the Content Minds. My name is Ryan Broderick, and another famous bad man of history has died minutes before us recording this podcast. Uh, (laughs) Donald Rumsfeld has died. I assume that by the time you hear this podcast, that will be old news, but for us, we are literally reeling from this information. Yeah. It's a real, um, you know, it's just a sad moment for all of us. Obviously, he was a great man. Did so much for the <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, history's greatest monsters. <laughs> and with me is Luke Bailey. Hi. hi. Yes, sorry, that's where I'm supposed to introduce myself, and then I don't. Anyway, yes, hi, I'm Luke. Uh hi. More important things happened this week, which include England beating Germany in football. Anyway, carry on. Who did what now with Germany? England beat Germany. In what? Football. The Euros. Yeah. The twenty twenty Euros that are happening in twenty twenty one? Yeah. Okay. All right, let's get in the show. <laughs> Welcome to the show. This week, we are going to be talking about Facebook. We haven't talked about Facebook in a while, and Facebook has a new product called Bulletin, which is like Substack, but more confusing. And On Facebook. That's the, that's the cool part of it. Like, everyone loves Facebook. So, you know, <laughs> that's right. just taking good things from the rest of the internet and putting them on Facebook, a platform everyone loves, just makes them better. That's right. Facebook has decided, after many years of training its massive audience to not read words that it wants them to not only read words again, but pay for them. And instead of, you know, instead of doing any sort of algorithmic tweaks that would help the publishers that they've suffocated get some revenue back, they've decided to launch their own editorial operation. It's a fantastic company, an exciting product, and I'm so excited to get into it this week. But before we do, Luke, how was the internet this week? Uh, I mean, I think we're very much in a split US and UK internet. Uh, I think the UK internet is kind of tense. Uh, it has felt like things have happened, uh, but no one's totally sure where it's going next. Um, and yeah, I just I, we're on a very different we're on a very different swing of uh, of the pandemic at the moment. Like, obviously, America is pretty confident that everything's fine, and it's, it's all done. over. It, we've reached yeah. an acceptable amount of daily deaths in America. Yes. Or, yeah, you're, no, sorry, you're back down to your acceptable level of daily deaths. That's right, People, because... Americans are dying from natural causes, like guns now, not right. COVID. I mean, there's nothing you can do to stop being shot to death in a Walgreens, so that's just what yeah. American culture is all about. Wear, wear your mask in the Walgreens while you get shot. Also, Americans fundamentally do not like each other, and I've discovered as I've gotten older that huge chunks of the country are totally fine with other chunks of the country just dying. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah, but in the UK, in the UK, uh, we're definitely kind of not over it yet, and everyone feels like we are, and it's getting kind of bad. Like, it's going to get bad again. It does. I read, I read your news, and it does seem like it's getting kind of bad again. Yeah. And um, I think, to be fair, I think it will get bad in the US again. I think you're just ahead. 
ahead of, ahead of the curve, behind the curve, I'm not sure. You're somewhere at a different point on the curve. I'll be honest. I I have slowly been coming to terms with the idea that we're going to have to do this all over again, which we're not even done really doing, but it's all going to happen again. I mean, for what it's worth, I don't think there's going to be like, you know, more lockdowns. I don't think we're going to be in the same point as we are right now next year. Like, I think that we will hit January and have basically be done with it. But I just think that we are not going to be in mid-August and be done with it, which I think is kind of where everyone's heads at. Yeah, that does seem to sort of be what a lot of people are kind of dealing with at the moment. Our internet is checked out. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I had mentioned like it just felt like the internet was empty. And you had said it was because everybody died. And then I said I was yeah. going to ignore that. I have, I have been asking around other creators, uh, other journalists, other people who make their living posting content. And overwhelmingly, everyone sort of agrees that, at least in America, the internet is empty. It is dead. In fact, Axios even had a thing yesterday saying that, like, traffic has just plummeted. Like, nobody wants to be online, and the people who are online aren't consuming anything. They're just sort of, like, farting around. And I know from, like, just my own anecdote, like, anecdotal stuff... My discords are quieter than usual. My newsletter is quieter. Everyone is just sort of tired, and I don't blame them. And there's nothing really interesting on the internet to like even look at, um, other than this podcast. Yes, this podcast is very interesting, but it has been an extremely long five years. Like, if you think this yes. basically started in almost exactly five years ago, actually, it was right around this time that I think everyone started going like, "Hey, so could this guy be president?" It was like right around now five years ago and yeah that's kind of the way it went south because also this is almost exactly five years since the brexit referendum which was the moment in the uk where that started but also it kind of triggered this wave you know we if we were looking at a global level you'd probably go back to modi you probably go back to duarte and there's other bits and pieces but i go it feels to like i go to modi but yeah i mean and actually i was in india uh when nahandra modi was he had just become president and he had banned beef which at the time I found annoying because I wanted to try Indian Taco Bell. Um, sure. I did not realize that that was the beginning of a violent regime of uh, Hindu nationalism. But uh, at the time, I wanted to write about Taco Bell in India, and it was really making that difficult for me to to do that. Um, yeah, of course, of course. Although, if you're yeah. if you're curious, I didn't get food poison. You probably are curious about this. I didn't get food poisoning from Indian Taco Bell, but I did have the most violent food poisoning of my entire life from Indian McDonald's. And for you, that's that's like a high standard because you get food poisoning like two or three times a day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, I mean, basically, when, uh, for listeners, when we were living together, Ryan would basically cough and be like, got food poisoning. Oh, yeah, there's like eight, so we got food poisoning. And I was like, hey, yeah, no, it probably was the kebab we ate last night. It definitely wasn't the nine pints beforehand. Yeah, I'm sure that it was just me having a weak stomach and not the fact that we were doing nothing but drinking beer and <laughs> eating Donner every single day. <laughs> uh, talking of uh, things that have kind of reverted, um, the 14 to 18-year-olds um, should be dressing better. Okay, you, seconds before we recorded today, you said that this was something you wanted to talk about. And I, you know, I really would had some, some i was curious where this was gonna go because you said that 14 year olds are ugly now is what you said <laughs> that's not what i said you said that's that, not what i said no the context the concept the context of this is is 
I have, you know, I think I go to work more. I think I'm around more and I've seen more, more like, uh, to be honest, <laughs> more I'm children. Saying, you know, you're saying that you're no, seeing no, I, children more. I, I'm saying, I'm saying 14 year olds, they're probably not. They're probably like 18 to 21 year old. I'm just too old now and I can't relate how old anyone is. But, but having seen a lot more of them for, I don't know, the last 10 years, l- late teens and early 20s people have been like, uh, intimidatingly like well-dressed like they know what they're doing they're following trends i'm out of i'm i'm checked out of the trends and i'm just like i don't know what this is i assume that you're wearing like complicated fashion and like doing like you know you've got following whatever uh beauty influencers doing on youtube and it kind of like built this kind of very uh, polished aesthetic it's not necessarily like a uh, like a clean aesthetic but it's a very clear like deliberate aesthetic if you know what uh-huh, I mean. uh-huh. now since the, in the last few months having been out and around again no it feels like everyone has reverted 20 years like okay so when you were 13 and you were like a i don't know a straight edge emo whatever you were then yeah actually was that what you were i was a straight edge ska kid yeah but i mean okay being straight edge at 13 in america doesn't it's not the same as being straight edge in the uk there really isn't a lot of chances for me to break edge at 13 but yes i was (laughs) i was a straight edge ska kid okay right tell me if this kind of like vague style sounds familiar um Hair that is like too long, and obviously I'm yes. not someone to talk here, but like not not like aggressively long, just like kind of uncut, and you're like, oh, that was a good style when you had really had it cut like two months ago. Yeah, shaggy hair yeah. is what you would describe. Shaggy hair, exactly. Shaggy hair, uh, like a band t-shirt, but like a band t-shirt was kind of looked like you know it needed a wash probably. Uh huh. Yeah. And then like blue jeans, but not like not like blue jeans, but like just normal jeans that were kind of faded but also not quite like not quite skinny jeans not quite like somewhere in between where it's like a slightly odd yeah thing. you're talking about like you're talking about like the guys who would like do whippets behind a 7-Eleven and they would like read a physical copy of Vice sometimes and they sold weed out of the local graveyard that's that's you you're describing from my town yes those people now they've come back and suddenly I, I'm kind of walking down the street and I'm like, all of you look like you've stepped straight out of like 1998 or possibly slightly later than that. I, my years are all out. But just kind of like, oh, I thought all you guys were like on TikTok and wearing contour and like cool puffer jackets and shit. Turns out they're not. And no. it's, it's kind of, it's, it's very strange. And it makes me, it makes me feel like simultaneously very old and no, just old. Just two different types of old. <laughs> I saw somebody the other day tweeting about how they were buying designer Crocs. That's where this is going. That's where this is all going. Because I do think it's probably tied to the fact that, you know, I haven't worn... We've talked about this on this show before, but I haven't worn hard pants in a year or more now. Like, I don't wear, I don't wear hard pants to work from home. You do because you're a crazy person, but I invested in sweatpants. Yeah, no, I stick. I stuck with the the the, the trousers. <laughs> no, jeans, and but yeah, not only did I invest in sweatpants, I also bought sweat shorts. So I I am not wearing hard clothes anymore. I right now I am wearing very comfy, soft clothes, and I do that every day. Okay, sure. Um, and wearing yeah, this is wearing hard pants. Hold on, I'm not done talking about hard pants yet. When I do wear hard pants to go outside. It feels extremely strange. It feels wrong. Right. That was the that was why I did not switch out because I was like, I don't want to feel this. I don't want to feel like this is weird. 
I don't have to like <laughs> why go back. Why not just I don't give have to go in. back to it? I'm because just I'm draped in soft fabrics all day. I'm extremely comfortable. I know. I also find hard pants more comfortable. Do you? Do you? Yeah. Do you? Do yeah. you wear shoes in the home? No, that's because it's bringing dirt. If I had indoor shoes, maybe I should. Oh, that's Crocs. I bought well, so I bought indoor flip flops. I bought indoor flip flops and slippers, and I I wear open toed shoes, and I drape myself in soft fabrics, and I'm comfortable all day. I mean, good for you, I guess. But I, I mean, this is part of the same thing, which feels like I'll be honest. People are coming out even, of the pandemic. Luke, I'm not even wearing underwear right now. Sure. <laughs> uh, but this feels like part of the same thing of just coming out of the pandemic and just not quite like being in the same rhythms that you were 18 months ago. I mean, it would be impossible not to be. Yeah. And I just, I, the, my, the particular visible thing that I noticed of it was kind of like, I was like, wow, the, the teens have forgotten how to dress, which I find fascinating. Or also the other version of this is that we are... Okay, we are done with five years of constant news. There's been too much news, and now everyone is going back to the long, the long noughties. I think that's it's 2003 true. again. The Strokes just released a great album. Dude, Travis Barker is making really good music right now. Yeah, uh, The Matrix just came out. The Matrix sequels just came out, which incidentally we're going to watch next on our, our, our other podcast post post credit scene. Subscribe to our Patreon if you want to hear that. Um, but yeah, it's just 2003 again. I think you're right, which is strange because. I don't remember enjoying 2003. 2006, I would say, is up there with like top 10 years of my life. I felt culturally, I felt one with culture in 2006. 2003, so, I so still the felt- year, the year when you turned 18. How old do you think? No, the year I turned 16. I don't think that's right. I think it was the year you turned 17. No. I always turn the year, the number <laughs> of the year that I turn is the year of the year. Fine. Okay. Sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. The same point of like, yeah, that is probably the, the most culturally relevant time of anyone's. But life. I remember specifically in 2016 being like, "Wow, this is it. This is as good as it's going to get, Ryan." <laughs> and you were right. I was right. <laughs> it has not gotten any better. Um, it has been very much downhill since there. Uh, do you want to talk about Ollie London briefly? Yeah, let's hit Ollie London. Okay. So for people listening who, like Luke, don't read Garbage Day, Ollie London is a very, very low level. British, not even influencer, just like tabloid celebrity, but not even celebrity. I'd, I'd, I'd argue that all British influencers are, are, is a are low level. Yeah, that's true. Although, like, you also have like what's her face? Zoella was big for a while. Yeah, but she was low level because she was. And British. you have you you have Dapper Laughs, who I I came across a Dapper <laughs> Laughs tweet the other day that was mind blowing. Um, Dapper Laughs was tweeting about Matt Hancock. I think he, I think I think he blocked me. Oh really? Anyways, Ollie London is a person who um, uses they, them pronouns, and they have been undergoing extensive surgeries to look more and more like Jimin from BTS. And <sighs> what has happened recently with this is that Ollie London has come out as transracial and tried to link it to transsexuality or the LGBT community. And it's been a really strange thing to watch as someone who's lived in the UK and regularly speaks to a British person every week and somebody who understands American politics and especially American identity politics because it's colliding in this really, really weird way that's like a big it, – it's sort of like a damning indictment of how broken information is right now because like everyone is taking this extremely seriously without really understanding that this is just like a clout game for Ollie London. And it's just really fascinating to watch Americans react to British tabloid culture. I mean it is a clout game but equally – 
as far as I understand, he does has genuinely had surgery. Oh no, this is all. I mean, but in the same way that like there are a lot of people in the UK who are doing exploitative things to each other and themselves to be written about in tabloids. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, but that's true. Uh, I think that there is a a a a a way to grow yourself quickly or get attention quickly in the uk that doesn't exist in the us yes um because of yeah the nature of like how online tabloid journalism works which is is broadly you know publish an awful lot uh and the more i don't want the right word for it is more 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 attention grabbing let's say that that's the most positive spin on it the more attention grabbing the better uh so yeah it, it it attracts stories like this and it attracts people like this but it also means that yeah he can do something kind of wild and then everyone goes like all right let's write about it exactly and like i had like a really strange experience today and you'll appreciate this trying to write about the system where like british news agencies email editors stories in the morning that they think that they should cover yeah, I mean, which I didn't best... know was a thing until I came to the UK, which is where you'd get like a Barcroft roundup email in the morning being like, here's a bunch of videos of freaks you can put on your website. Yeah, I mean, we actually have, we actually have don't use any of them. Uh, and I think we're one of the few websites that don't. Uh, I think that it is a very weird, very weird and very specific thing that British do. Basically, imagine if uh, the New York Post crossed with uh reuters so reuters is effectively you know actually no ap is a better one ap so ap is effectively a wire service they don't put much spin on stuff they just give you a basic story we have the same version in the uk it's the press association uh associated press press association same thing but two separate organizations uh and they do the same thing of like kind of straight stories which means there's a real benefit to it because it means you know not every newspaper has to send someone to cover a minor minister giving a speech in Stockport uh, because it's time-consuming and they're not going to make any news. But right. someone's gone from the Press Association and then we go, okay, fine, you can all use a copy. And, and it's, a, it's a good deal and it, it makes a lot of sense because uh, it you know means that newspapers can focus on other other things that are more likely to you know have more benefit to the world. <laughs> um, but a load of other... Yeah, agencies then picked up this model of we'll, we will email our, our stories, but did it with the sensibilities of effectively the New York Post or the Sun or the Mirror or whoever you might pick Or up. even closer to like Ripley's Believe It or Not. Like there's one that really sticks with me where I remember – I had to look it up today to see if I, I had misremembered it, but it was real. I remember this. Barcroft TV emailed me because I was covering like viral news at the time about a family in Brazil – that lives with like five tigers. <laughs> and I was like 23. It was my first year on the news desk. And I took it to my editor being like, should we cover the v- tiger thing? And he was like, <laughs> what tiger thing? I was like, oh, I got this email about this like failure that lives with tigers. And he's like, he's like, oh, that's Barcroft. Yeah, do not ever publish anything that they send you because it's all garbage. And it, I, I really didn't understand the full picture until I got to the UK and saw just like, how extensive this world is of just like it's like conservative boogeymen and like modern age freaks meant to f- like scare like old people that that's sort of what the stories focus on it's like the guy with 60,000 tattoos and like the woman with size z breasts and like the russian kid who's magnetized you know like shit like that <laughs> I mean, yeah, there is, there's a lot of weird stuff in there. And I, I think also there's a huge range of 
like the some of them are pretty straightforward but that's do kind of just yes. more human stories like a lot of human interest stories and some of them are you know clearly just uh picking random words off the front of dvds and putting them into into an order and going like yeah this happened right. uh, and like there is a huge a huge range of them uh I, yeah and it's tricky because the model of tabloids has always been more i mean we've talked about this before but if you read something in a British tabloid, you know, you understand the context in which you are reading it. You are understanding that it is coming with a pinch of salt, basically. Yes. Uh, and, you know, that, it varies depending on you know, the writer and where it is. Like, you know, the the, the Sun last week broke a, a hell of a political story, uh, which you may have heard about. Are we talking about Matt Hancock? We're talking about Matt Hancock. G- Matt Hancock getting s- caught. Matt Hancock getting caught. Wow, that is super. Hold on, Matt Hancock getting caught getting. Nope, Matt Hancock getting caught snogging. Wow, that's a very yes, very exactly. hard thing to say. Yeah, that is what we're talking about. But yeah, that was Sun, and that is like in the best traditions of tabloid journalism. Uh, but the other half of the tabloid journalism is that you know you're going to get to some pages and look at it and be like, hmm, okay, uh, that's right. probably a little bit overstated. Uh, the problem is online is you completely strip that context away. You don't really know necessarily where you're coming from. You're finding it on Facebook. So it looks the same as, you know, a sober Financial Times report or a post from, you know, your friend about their baby. And you're kind of like imbuing it with that same authority, even though if you picked it up in a paper, you would consider it completely differently. And that's kind of the the trouble with how they try to deal online and also why these agencies have sprung up because British papers have that sensibility, British paper websites have the same sensibility so yeah they just they're fine working with these people and you know these people can send it's a wire service it therefore makes sense and that context collapse i think is even more profound when one of these stories goes viral in the u.s which is what Mm -hmm. has happened with Mm -hmm. ollie london where we have a an emerging an extremely vicious anti-trans community that is like slowly trying to figure out where they exist politically and it's right now spread out all over the place and they have sort of latched onto the Ollie London story as an example of, you know, uh, trans people are mentally ill and they're all crazy. That's not me saying this. This is like my impression of what the, the rhetoric looks like. And they're using Ollie London as an example of that. And it's really unfortunate because um, there's like no way to turn that hose off. In fact, I was writing about it and I wanted to like come to some sort of grand conclusion, you know, and I'll like, I almost just put like the shrugging guy emoji because I was like, yeah. Yeah, like modern social platforms absorb tabloid journalism like, you know, like a magnetized Russian kid with a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a perfect it's a perfect situation and there's nothing there's no easy ways to fix it. Um but yeah. <laughs> there's no easy ways to fix it. That's it. Can I talk about something that is fixed because it's amazing? What yes, please. Uh let's do let's do something nice now. Yeah, uh, I have become a huge fan of Playlist YouTube. Tell me more about Playlist YouTube. Playlist YouTube is, uh, oh God, again, I, I'm, I'm doing a lot of stuff that, that makes me feel old here. Yeah, but you're having like a is, very old day today. Is is an extension of kind of like, you know, the music for studying stuff, like lo-fi hip-hop radio beats to relax slash study to. Yeah. So there's kind of like other versions of this, which is, you know, ambient study music, classical study music. But then there's like a bunch of accounts of of YouTube accounts that just make uh kind of like really specific playlist music that does really well. So it's stuff like um summer songs will make you feel like a kid again 
or TikTok songs that are actually good. Songs that make you feel powerful. And they're like an hour long. And there used to be people making playlists. And they all get, you know, a couple of hundred thousand views. Some get a lot more. Uh, but I find huh. it just absolutely fascinating. Because they also get incredibly specific. Because they do stuff like a POV playlist. Uh, yeah, POV playlist. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, you're walking home in the rain at 3 a.m. Oh, this kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or like, yeah, a playlist that makes you feel like the sad side character in a movie. Uh, this this which, is kind of this is kind of related to a thing that was popular on Tumblr a few years ago where they would edit songs to sound like they were coming from another room and then they would put captions like Fleetwood Mac playing from the other room of a party as you smoke a cigarette out on the balcony or something. And I always yeah. really well, love those posts. Well, the main impact of those was kind of the main vibe of those was basically like a slightly weird uh, sound effect thing. But these are just genuine playlists. Uh, are often they, good? they put a, like yeah, often. Uh, the major <laughs> problem with them that all the people do making them are clearly like 23 or 22, 23. And they're like, hey, uh, it's summer 2013. You're on a road trip vibing and life's good. And I'm like, I don't recognize any of these songs. You never were on a road trip and having a good life in 2013? Uh, no, I think it was past my road trip years. I was in London then. We don't drive in London as, as, oh, that's as right. well established. That's right. that's right. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff where it's like, you know, uh, it's a summer night in 2016 and not knowing you're making memories. And I'm like, I don't remember... 2016. I don't. I was not what I was listening to. You're not nostalgic for 2016. That was the last. That was another last time where I I felt pretty good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, I just find it. I find it. I find it just absolutely fascinating that the that the kind of like the very specific vibes of these things. Uh, oh, here's a great one. You're studying in a haunted library with ghosts. Okay, that slaps. Is it like? Oingo Boingo's Dead Man's Party? Because that would be a great song for that. Uh, it is. Oh, it's classical music. Okay. Oh. Well, I guess that would work. I guess that, I, guess, yeah. I mean, ghosts and classical music, that kind of fits, yeah. <laughs> You're following the mysterious student who is sneaking out of the dormitories. Ooh. What, what's on that one? Also classical music. It's the same one. It's the same, it's the same creator. But yeah, I just find this stuff, I, it's so amazingly specific. This does remind <laughs> me of the Twitter user who got, I think, briefly banned from Spotify for making a playlist that was like hyper pop songs that will kill Prince Philip or something. <laughs> <laughs> Prince Philip heard Charlie XCX and died. That's what actually happened. It, oh. it just went too hard. So this playlist will make you feel like a Greek goddess in a ruined garden. Is it also classical music? It's also classical music, but it's got 600,000 views. Does it make you feel like a Greek goddess when you listen to it? I don't know. I, I can't read it. We're on, we're on, we're on, a, we're on a podcast. I'm not going to stop to listen to an hour long podcast. A playlist. <laughs> so, we are talking about Facebook. You're talking about Facebook's bulletin. Bulletin is a new project from Facebook that I think is hysterically stupid. Uh, <laughs> like, I just think the whole thing is just so ridiculous. And it's this is not even me caping for Substack, which is where I currently host my newsletter. But let me um, let me let me kick this off by reading through some of the FAQ that is included on the Bulletin website, which is honestly kind of difficult to find. It's bulletin.com, but like I figured it would be facebook.com slash bulletin or something. But no, this is literally just like a standalone website. So how did you select the creators for the beta program? 
We looked for creators with a diverse range of topics, perspectives, and disciplines as part of a closed beta. Some of these creators are writers and academics, while others are industry experts and public figures. We define independent creators as individual journalists or subject matter experts who are not contractually bound to write exclusively for a platform or publisher. And then here's another one. Where can I find bulletin articles and podcasts? Bulletin articles and podcasts can be found on individual creator pages, your Facebook newsfeed, and within the news section of Facebook. Do I have to pay to access articles and podcasts? It depends. Add all... That's a... Wow, a typo. Interesting. They didn't even proofread this website. That's how little they give a shit about this product. (laughs) All of the bulletin content exists behind the paywall, and you can access premium benefits, subscriber-only Facebook groups, badges, and more if you pay for a subscription. If you're not ready to pay, there's still lots of free content to enjoy. And in terms of the beta creators they've launched with, we've got Malcolm Gladwell, (laughs) Queer Eyes Tan France, and sportscaster Aaron Andrews. I honestly don't know what to fucking make of this. <laughs> like, I really don't know what they're trying to do. I mean, it feels very much like a thing Facebook can do because Facebook has so much money that it's just like, we'll just do this. Like, I'd love to know much how, Malcolm, how much Malcolm Gladwell's being paid. I guarantee it is more than anyone is making on Substack. Oh, like, for sure. Although there are some being, gigantic uh, Substack whales, I gotta say. There are some Substack, Substack whales, but... I guarantee that Facebook is paying Malcolm Gladwell more than that. That's probably true. I guess, like, my first question about this that that I have, like, looking at this is, like, what's in it for Tan France? Like, other than... Money. Okay, but is that money worth it to do a newsletter? Even at its easiest, a newsletter still requires you to write it, which is a little harder than you talking into a camera or posting an Instagram photo. So I just, like, don't understand, like, what is in it for a person who has an actual TV show or like someone like Malcolm Gladwell, who is paid to write extremely poorly researched books. Well, I mean, in the Malcolm Gladwell thing, you know, there is, you know, Malcolm Gladwell is a writer. Like I imagine that he probably sometimes wants to write at different lengths. Like, (laughs) yeah, I kind of get that. I, I think, you know, I feel like an awful lot of these writers are going to be doing the correct thing when Facebook asks you to do a thing and offers you a lot of money saying, yes, I'll do that. I'm really excited about it. Uh, and then a year later, if it's super successful, great. You've got a new platform and you, you can do it. If it's not, you've made a load of money. Like, you know, these are lost leaders. I, I, I Okay, so then now now my my new question, which is like, if you're on Facebook and you've been basically bombarded with video content and now for the last couple of years, social content via groups and like pages. <laughs> yes. Why in... Where in that situation do you read a newsletter? <laughs> like, like, I know. I mean, actually, even broader. Like, who, who is on Facebook now? Like, what is the average Facebook person? What do they look like? Uh, this is super interesting, Aaron Andrews. I- <laughs> is it someone who's like, finally, I can fucking read Malcolm Gladwell on Facebook? I can't wait. I can't wait to read this blog. Like, what is like wh- who? <laughs> well, fundamentally, like, firstly, the answer to who is on Facebook is everyone is on Facebook, even if they're not active users of it. The yeah, second sure. answer is that Malcolm Gladwell has 750,000 followers on Facebook. Really? Only? So, yeah, but that's enough. That's fine. Like, I would prefer to have seven, I, I don't know, actually, I don't know if you prefer 750,000 Facebook followers or Twitter followers. Uh, uh, I can tell. I can tell you this. At least uh, as of a couple of years ago, if you had like over ten thousand followers on Facebook, you were able to basically 
bring in several hundred thousand page views per an article you were to write. Like they translate pretty one to one, actually. In fact, it may be even more. Okay, yeah. So that makes that makes perfect sense. But yeah, it kind of does make sense of him. I think Oh god, it's one of those things that's it's it's really annoying because it is a dumb product that probably won't work that Facebook should do anyway. Like at this point it there is it's if there is any industry any digital like media or, or or product that is doing well, Facebook should immediately copy it and do it because it is the only, it is the correct way to do this. Uh, you know, they did the same with Clubhouse, and it turned out that Clubhouse actually no one liked it. Uh, and came well, no, no, there. this is so Bulletin is part of the Clubhouse thing. So all of this is coming together as part of one hub. So you'll have you'll have Bulletin, you'll have podcasts, you'll have live audio, you'll have paywalls, you'll have monetization features, all as part of like one creator program. And then this is the first part of that. So there's more on the way. Which, uh, you know, it kind of makes sense. Like, it makes sense. Like, it's not a bad way to do it. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I keep coming back to this. And I, I don't see a problem with it other than, like, it is very Facebook to put out a product that's just slightly worse than something's out that, that's out there already and assume that their vast reach and audience will mean that it'll work. And they're probably right. Well, I, I, let's, let's play out how this works, right? Like, let's, because I think. We know enough about how Facebook operates that we can kind of guess where this is going. So first we have the the early beta users who are IRL famous people or at least like established people. We have like sportscasters. We have uh, financial pundits. We have people who are described as not, as being not political. I think it was also like a, a, a focus for <laughs> Facebook. That's so extremely Facebook. Facebook should offer it to Trump. When Trump is allowed back on the platform, <laughs> they should immediately sign up Trump as a bulletin user. You know, I I think he wouldn't even want it. If he can't have Twitter, I think there's nothing else he wants. So once these people come in, they will create a bunch of boring content that probably will not stick because no one wants to read non-political content. That's just not true. Like, it's just not the way the world works right now. Even Tan France, I think, would have to like write something mildly spicy for it to like do pretty well. Okay, sure, but also Malcolm Gladwell has been writing bad research books for twenty years and is very successful. So the idea that there is not an audience on Facebook for this, I, I mean, also the other thing of this is all Facebook needs to do is just put a tweak in its algorithm to show it to enough people, and boom, done. Like, we've seen the power of that with, I mean, the live video thing was, was the most memorable one where. Yeah, yeah for, they really what, got us months, on that one. For four months, Facebook thought, live, we're going to make live video thing. And it turned out that, and it was a thing. Like, it was, it, you could not move oh, for live videos. I know, I was, I've, I was lit on fire in the streets of Paris on Facebook Live. That's, that's how badly <laughs> I, I wanted to do well on Facebook Live. I, I went toe-to-toe with Riot Cops several times on live streams because I thought this was the future. And honestly, it was pretty fun at the time. Not the being on fire part, but at least like the live streaming part. But they really did make us all think that like people really enjoyed those videos when in fact they did not. Yeah, there was actually and I, well, this is well, fascinating because at the time you were super keen on it. I was I, super keen on it. And I said that we shouldn't do it. <laughs> I think I was like, the polar opposite <laughs> of it. Like I was kind of like it was a fun experiment, but having spent a lot of time around Facebook you know, it's super clear that A, views don't matter. Like, it's not a metric True. you should ever look at on Facebook. You look at the underlying metrics, like the active things that people are doing, the 
you know, the shares, the comments, that sort of stuff that people are actually doing a thing. That is the thing that you look at on Facebook. Reach and likes and or, well, likes are a bit of a thing. But yeah, reach and views are, are nothing, basically. And kind of looking at that, I, it always looked like live video was being massively overrated. Yeah. And we couldn't tell, though Facebook's bet essentially was that it could do live video attune people to the idea that oh facebook is now a live video platform and then suddenly everyone would like it and they just, it turned out they couldn't do that or they didn't try it for long enough which is another possibility and then like right we'll scrap it now so i think with this arguably it's lower risk but equally you know they can push malcolm gladwell to an awful lot of people a bunch of people will sign up will they keep reading don't know will they uh it be something they want to do in six months from now don't know but i could see it working like i, I don't like you know, they have every opportunity there to make something work. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. I mean, here's the here's the other way to think about this, which I don't actually think they're this manipulative as I think some people d- do think. But, like, they spent basically a decade obliterating publishers, traditional publishers especially. They took all the ad money. They would let a few come in. They They basically turned American journalism and UK journalism as well to a degree – into a hyperpartisan nightmare world where Dan Bongingo is like the most read <laughs> publisher in America. And that's because like they literally just like they knew they needed news because they knew they needed to be a portal that had like relevant information on it. But like they didn't and really they be, care. They had to be current, which is the big one. Right, exactly. And they didn't they didn't really care any about anything beyond that. And now they have an editorial product to basically fit very nicely into like the little widget that they have carved out by decimating traditional publishers. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a two way, there's kind of two ways to look at it. One is the idea that Facebook has yet again, found a way to recreate for its own profit, something that it has had an active part, played an active part in destroying. Yeah. The other way to look at it is like, all right, I'm sure it'll work. Like I, like it's, yeah, they, they're doing the thing, but you know, you kind of got to roll with it. Like it, it's like complaining that the the weather systems are fucking you up. Like okay, well, they are. They're they're about. melting everything yeah. right now. That's true, and Facebook is contributing to that. So that's not really the point. But like it is the kind of you know you, you get what I mean. Like I, I, it's very hard to kind of come at Facebook and be like, I can't believe you destroyed journalism in order to do this. It's like, well, they did that already, so it's not coming back. <laughs> True. Well, okay, that actually brings me to another question. One that I've been grappling with a bit myself, which is what is Facebook? I don't I mean like what is it? This is becoming a bigger problem for also the stuff that's involved with Facebook. Like I don't fundamentally anymore understand what Instagram is, I barely understand what WhatsApp is. And, and and I don't mean to say like, I don't mean to say like, literally, like, I don't understand what WhatsApp is. I don't understand what Instagram is. But like, the Facebook suite of apps compared to something like Twitter, something like Tumblr, something like Reddit, something like TikTok, just don't feel like anything to me anymore. Like, I, it's so hard for me to say like, like, I in my head can tell you the average Reddit user, the average Tumblr user who's a person that's on Twitter but like in my brain I am having a harder and harder time imagining like average users for Facebook products I would think I think I think the best way to think about Facebook is as internet architecture 
you know, you can think about it in the same way you think of email. Uh, yeah, email, Google, like really basic things where it's like, sure, it does exist. It has like a, a, a specific thing to it, but also like it is just into image. Like my most common interaction with Facebook is probably using it to. <laughs> it's probably using it to like as a login portal for other websites. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Like I rarely, I rarely check it for any any particular like needed reason. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of just a bit of everything now. I think. Yeah, and I guess like the hope is that they've gotten to such a scale that they can't lose that scale. But then at the same time, imagining like you're 13 years old. Oh, you're one of the ugly dressed 13 year olds that you are apparently staring at on the high street and you go home and you decide, okay, I'm going to make a Facebook account. I can't imagine that. I actually, I, I can't imagine someone in their teens sitting down and making a Facebook account in the same way I could imagine them still making like an email address. Because with an email address, you sort of have to have it to log into most things. Yeah. I, I can't. I, no, I, I see that. I, I, but I also think like it's the sort of thing that people will have a Facebook account and then not reuse it. Maybe. Maybe. Like, also, I mean, one of the weird things, actually, that I think has kind of turned Facebook into a slightly big thing is that everyone has too many friends on it. Oh, yeah, I definitely do. I think I have, like, over 3,000 or something. Right. So it's just, at that level, it's just not usable. Like, it's not usable for the purpose of, like, sharing something with your friends because there are too many of them. So you will share it specifically to them on WhatsApp or to a uh, slightly different, more public-facing group of friends on Instagram or text them, I don't know, like like a normal person. Like, it, there's not a there's not a use case for it, and it's kind of ended up in this weird point. But, you know, enough people are still actively using it that it still matters, I think. I mean, I guess. And I don't think we're at, like a MySpace moment where, like, the company is going to, like, disappear soon. No, it is, no it, it, definitely not. I mean, also, it's now, like, its stock is through the roof because uh, it just, like, had that lawsuit thrown out. Yeah. But I think with Facebook Bulletin, it's maybe the first big product rollout from Facebook in a long time that, to me, sort of reveals a real lack of internal sense of identity. I think... I think it's been coming for a while, and when I when I looked at Bolton, I was like, "Wow, not even Facebook knows what the fuck this is for," and they don't care because they don't need to care because the scale is so big. But but that that to me was like, "Ooh, I don't know what this is," and I guarantee you, whoever made this product has no idea what this is. Yeah, I mean, I think that it will. I think that our experience of Facebook is probably very different to a large number of people in other countries. Like, for example, Indian Facebook is very very different to. British oh, for or sure. American for sure. Facebook. And I also think that, you know, there's a ah, what's the best way to put it? I do think that kind of like there is a there are plenty of people I know who only use Facebook as a social network. That's their social network. And like it does still exist for that. I think it's often hard to remember that as we are so far removed from it. Because we're so we're we have we've we've evolved past the need for Facebook, is what you're saying. You and I. We're we're too good at posting. I don't really. I just think that like, you know, we need more instant feedback on our posts. Like Facebook's not high risk enough. Like I need to know that every time I tweet, like I could ruin my life. Facebook, I'm not gonna ruin my life. No one's gonna see it. It's fine. That's like, true. I need I need that tension. Oh no, I mean you you put something problematic on Facebook, you'll become more popular. That's how that works. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I need I need the other way. I need I need the constant threat of of, of destruction. Okay, okay. This this makes sense. Well, hold on. Then let's 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 do let's do one last thing here. Let's 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 play a little game. All right. 
Let's make a bet. Do you think do you think Facebook Bulletin will catch on and turn into like a fully functional blogging platform that is like popular and useful? Or do you think by next year we will just like never talk about it again? I mean it's both. <laughs> it's kind of my simple answer to that. Like I think that it will still exist in a year's time. Uh I think Okay, with all right, I'll I'll do that. I'm going to do this in the in the uh uh what's the thing that they do um the rationalist way and put a percentage bet on each one of my predictions. Okay, so I think with a ninety percent probability that Bulletin will still be an active service in a year's time. I think with a sixty percent probability uh that Bulletin will be a less significant and I, I oh God no because it needs to have a hard number on it um. I don't know how to put. I don't have a number on this. This is the problem with Facebook. I, I don't know how many people are going to use anything. I don't know how many people use Facebook now. Like, yeah, I, do I think it'll exist? Yes. Do I think it'll have be hugely successful? I don't even maybe, know what but using Facebook constitutes. Like, I don't even know like yeah. what it means to use Facebook in 2021. Like, does that mean you've opened it? Does that mean you're like actively posting on it? That you're reading stuff? You're watching stuff? Like, I don't know. The only person I know who's active on Facebook is my dad, and he hooks his hearing aids into the Bluetooth of his phone, opens up Facebook video, and then just lets Facebook watch videos auto-load for hours, like a toddler with an iPad. It's uh, it's a completely frightening thing to watch in, in real life. Yeah, see, people still use Facebook. Like, people have a purpose. <laughs> like, it does work. Like, it, exactly, it still exists for something. So, like, yeah, will it appeal? It probably appeals to a different audience on Facebook, but I'm confident that there are people who will very merrily subscribe to Malcolm Gladwell's email list. Yeah. Like, I don't know, I don't even know what to do with that. I don't know if it changes something. I don't know if it, like, I don't think that a New York Times reporter is probably going to leave the New York Times for, for Bulletin, but they, no, they I might mean, do. They might, I guess. I think it would be a dumb idea, but they might. I don't know. I think Bulletin also is interesting for one last thing that we didn't really touch on, which I think is important to acknowledge, which is that, no one involved with the first round of people on Bolton are people that I would describe as homegrown influencers. Like they're not people that Facebook has helped become celebrities. And I think it speaks so damningly of Facebook's ecosystem that they don't have any, they don't, they have no crossover talent. They don't have anyone who's popular on Facebook initially from Facebook that a person working at like the Today Show or something would know. And I think that is they, fascinating. They need, to me. they need a magician in there. What they need. There's n okay. There's not a single fucking magician involved with Bulletin, and I think that is a that is a travesty. Because if there's one kind of person I want to read a newsletter from, it's a Facebook magician. Honestly, yeah. though, yeah. Um, and, and this is this is real. So when I did interview like Rick Lax a couple weeks ago about like the awful food women videos, he talked like openly and passionately about Facebook's monetization features and how. Like, it's hard to make money on Facebook. Like, he seemed genuinely worried about how to make money on Facebook. And this is a guy whose entire career is now based around Facebook. And when I saw the Bulletin thing, I was like, oh, wow. Like, there are so many people who use Facebook for business that they could actually really use this thing. And you've just said, like, fuck you. Let's get Malcolm Gladwell to talk about self-driving cars <laughs> on, on this instead. And it's like... I mean, I'm not saying I love Facebook magicians. <laughs> like, I'm not saying I'm pro Facebook <laughs> magicians, but they're creators who use this platform for a living to make money. And Facebook is so embarrassed by them. It's the it's the only they're the only organic 
celebrities they have. Yeah, and the content they're making is only in the shape that it's in because it has to fit the algorithmic needs of Facebook. And yet Facebook is so embarrassed by its own algorithmic demands and the content that is produced by that that these people aren't even invited to the party. And I think that is just like such a – like it's just – it sucks. I think that sucks. Justice for the Facebook magicians is what I'm saying. Like if you're going to make this entire class of creator, at the very least, like support them. And don't just throw them out the window because you want to work with Tan France. Like, come on. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think my final thought on it would be that it will probably do fine. It will not be a wild success, but it will be just successful enough to cause problems for everyone else in the space. Uh, And Malcolm Gladwell will eventually leave and everyone else will eventually leave and then it'll carry on. And then in 10 years, you'll be like, wow, Bulletin's still going. And you'll look at it and discover that one of the original people to start Bulletin is a billionaire. Uh, who owns like a country and be like wow okay this one guy became a billionaire of of facebook bulletin yeah i think that's i think that's exactly right (laughs) Um, yeah every platform only has one winner it's only the person who can post the hardest and the longest gets to win hey luke have you consumed any content to stay sane this week Yeah, Love Island's back on. What is Love Island? Love Island. That's right. I started yeah. a I, I started a uh, Discord room for Love Island in the Garbage Day Discord. Ugh, amazing! I didn't know that. Yeah, Love Island's back on. Uh, it is almost exactly the same as it is every year, which is perfect. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> except everyone has to quarantine for two weeks before they go in. Uh, which honestly, they probably should be doing in normal seasons of Love Island anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Just heavy dose of penicillin before they get there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's there's some new accents on it. Uh, there's someone from the Midlands, uh, which is great, uh, and there's someone from Somerset uh, who has an amazingly yeah, just sounds like a farmer. It's, it's brilliant. That sounds um, great. Yeah, it's perfect. I'm really happy it's back. It's been a long eighteen months without fo- without an international football tournament or Love Island. <laughs> <laughs> the two ways to punctuate the British existence. <laughs> yeah. How about you? What kind of you can consume into Stoicine? Uh I am being consumed by content right now. I, oh. I, uh, I've been dying to talk about this actually. So last week, I guess, I got curious about where the MCU is headed in regards to Secret Wars. Oh dear! And so I had read the first Secret Wars, like you know, probably a decade or two decades ago, and it's fine. This would be a great post on Bulletin. I, this would be a great bulletin post. So they redid Secret Wars in 2015. And, and the way Marvel has sort of been moving is like they take an old crossover event, they redo it with new writers. And then a couple of years later, it becomes like the tentpole piece for the MCU. So I was like, OK, well, let's see what Secret Wars is like. And it was unbelievable. It was so good. And then I found out that it was written by this guy, Jonathan Hickman. And Jonathan Hickman has been like the number one recommendation people have had for me to read for years and years. And I was like, oh, man. I got to do this now. So Jonathan Hickman <laughs> is basically in charge of the X-Men comics. Like that is his major okay. role at Marvel. And so I started reading Jonathan Hickman's X-Men run. I'm blown away. And everyone kept, everyone's been saying like Jonathan Hickman's X-Men run should be the MCU X-Men. And I was like, eh, whatever. Now I'm all in. The premise is unbelievable. So this isn't spoilers, but basically everything in the Marvel universe regarding mutants and X-Men gets rebooted. 
because Charles Xavier and Magneto decide that instead of fighting each other, they're going to start their own island that's a nation state for mutants. And they create like a sovereign nation for mutants. Okay, cool. Yeah, into it. Everything changes from there in the craziest ways because what the island can do is you you can like go through portals. So like the island can have like a portal on the moon and it can have a portal in France and all this and that. But narratively, what that has done is fixed like the major issue with X-Men, which is that there's so many of them in so many places that it, like it makes them in, it impossible for them to, to like interact with each other. So you'd never get like characters just like hanging out and having fun. And everyone knows that like the best X-Men stories are the ones where they just play baseball. Like that's all you want to see is you want to see like Nightcrawler in the outfield, like doing teleportation to catch a ball or something. So the fact that now all mutants that exist in the Marvel universe can like hang out has changed the entire dynamic. And then the craziest thing and the most subversive thing is that when there's a sovereign mutant nation, all of the evil mutants are no longer considered evil. Oh. So like the leader of one of the teams now is Apocalypse because Apocalypse has no more beef with Charles Xavier because all Apocalypse wanted was mutants to be like superior. So the entire status quo has changed where like, Magneto is still Magneto. He's still like an asshole and Apocalypse is still like completely insane and, th- and a thousand years old. But the commentary on like inequality that this like this series is doing right now where you're like, hey, what if like the evil brotherhood of mutants wasn't evil? They just like needed some space to be mutants <laughs> and like okay. have a good life and like what that would mean. And so the stories that are being told like under Hickman's run and under like his supervision right now are just they're mind blowing. They're like they're like absolute brain candy. Um, that also sounds like it would fit in a lot better with the existing MCU. Yes, it's like what if what if mutants founded a, their own Wakanda? And in fact, there's some really yeah. interesting uh, interactions between Wakanda and uh, the mutant island, which is called Krakoa. Uh, but it's it's just really good, and it's like I I can't believe I put off reading it for so many years, but also I'm glad I did because now I can binge it all and just like read through it. But Highly recommend if you're looking for good uh, if you're looking for a good X Men story. Cool. Okay, that sounds interesting. Uh, have you started Loki yet? Nope. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm, go watch the next episode of Loki right now, actually, because I've been saving how, how it all many day. how many episodes through are we at? How many episodes do we have to go? We're on episode four, and there's two left. Okay. Okay. Cool. I'm gonna try and catch up for the final episode, but I yeah I have. If I have you can, so we should probably do a spoiler zone segment on it on the you know in two weeks after the last episode yeah okay oh right we on wins oh yeah actually no we can watch your yeah okay well you know we can figure it out anyways yeah thank you guys for listening to the content minds thank you guys uh for listening to post post credit scene our other podcast we do for patreon patrons it is still unlocked um i will keep it unlocked until monday of next week just so everybody gets a, a full round if they want to go through it all i you know we had a lot of fun making the the live up to the minute episode of uh post post credit scene about f9 and i did get a message actually from a listener who has never watched a single fast and the furious movie and then listened to all of our episodes which i thought was kind of wild um, oh that's cool yeah that is pretty cool so we have we have another decision to make on post post credit scene how is our side podcast the more complicated one logistically? What, what, is, what is the decision we have to make? The decision we have to make is that we were planning to kick off a new series in the next next week. Yes. But, but Black Widow is out next week. And I am wondering if we should do a Black Widow episode. I think we should wait 
and do another... I think we should wait to the end of this phase. Okay, so we're not going to do episodes on them. Okay. I don't think we should, because, like, we should wait. Obviously, we can talk about Black Widow. I think we could do, like, a spoiler zone segment on Black Widow. But I think if we're going to dive back into the MCU, we've got to dive back into the MCU, and we've got to wait for this phase to be over. All right. All right. That works for me. And that'll also give us some time to figure out how we incorporate the TV shows and all the rest of it. But I think... You know, obviously the MCU is a big part of <laughs> of our dynamic in this show. Yeah. Uh, and we will be talking about them as they go on. But there's so much of it that, like, we can't we can't be expected to just start drop episodes about the MCU all the time. So yeah, I think we like, go forward. There's also, like, nine MCU movies this year or something stupid. There's so <laughs> many coming. So, you know, obviously it'll be a part of the show and it's stuff we'll talk about. But um, for now, I want to wait because I don't even know where this phase is going. I don't know how we would do a Black Widow episode even without, like, knowing what's coming you know that's true that's true yeah that's fair that's fair all right thank you guys for listening um follow me on bulletin uh i'm secretly writing malcolm gladwell's articles because he doesn't have the time uh so uh yeah say hi come Uh, come. i'm secretly writing aaron andrews (laughs) bye guys bye